You're listening to the Living Word Church Podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordli.org. Today's message comes from our lead pastor, Doug Jansen. A few weeks ago, I was walking through my house, and all of a sudden my vision got a little bit distorted. Um, I don't know if you've ever had your eyes dilated, but what happens is it kind of, everything becomes foggy and, and blurry and you can't really focus on things. Like you look at your phone and you literally just see like a big blur, okay? And it wasn't exactly like that, but it was kind of like that. Instead of the blur, I was actually seeing crystals. Like it was so weird. Everywhere I looked, I would just see like a piece of a crystal, like a sliver of a crystal, like through my iPhone or I'd be looking around the room and there'd just be a big crystal like I could see above and below, but there, like right there, I couldn't see anything but a crystal. And so I started thinking like, am I like going blind here? And then I'm like, maybe I've been like a robotic cyborg my whole life who just thought I was human. And then I went back to thinking I was going blind again. And then I asked Kelly about it and she confirmed that I am a robotic cyborg, of course. But then she said, no, Doug, you're having an ocular migraine. And what that is, is it's a migraine in your eyes. Doesn't that sound fun? Isn't that awesome? So you get a migraine, right? Your, your head starts to kill you. You start to feel nauseous. Like that's what I experience when I get migraines. But an ocular migraine messes with your sight. It distorts your view. And so being that I often get migraines, I know take some Advil, get into like a, a quiet place and, and turn the lights off. And uh, I couldn't. I had to kind of keep moving that day. And so I took some Advil, but I, I, I instead was like, let me just wear some sunglasses just to kind of bring all the intensity of the light down. But the problem is Doug Jansen doesn't own a pair of sunglasses, so I had to borrow my wife's. And so I'm walking around my day like this. Now, I think I kind of look like a trendy pastor. I don't know. This is kind of a look here. So if you guys think this should keep going, I'll keep going with this. But I was freaking out because my vision was all distorted. Everybody say Distorted. You know, it's really scary when our vision of Jesus becomes distorted, when we don't see him for who he really is, when there are certain things that we might believe about him that just aren't true, and maybe you have a a picture of Jesus in your mind, maybe you got that picture because somebody once described Jesus to you a certain way. Maybe you 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 grew up going to a certain church and there was like a stained glass picture of Jesus and and he just looked a certain way, and, and, and maybe... Maybe, I don't know what the picture was, maybe it was a great picture of Jesus and you were kind of drawn, but maybe there was like this coldness to that picture. Maybe um, the the image you have of Jesus is um, a little bit distorted because a person that you know that said they loved Jesus did something that really kind of wounded you and that distorted your view of Jesus. And so let me ask you this question. When you approach Jesus in prayer, what do you envision? Who do you envision? And I'm not talking about physically. But, but who do you see on the other side of that prayer? Is it somebody who is cold? Is it somebody who is holier than thou? I would say that's what a lot of the artists that have drawn Jesus over the years have made him to look, holier than thou. Kind of like, almost like you wouldn't want to get near this guy. He's a little bit too holy. He's kind of glowing, you know? I don't know if I'm ready for glowing, you know? And so we have this distortion of who Jesus really is. And I think that can lead us to struggle with being close to him. You know, it's like, are you somebody I want to come close to? Are you somebody that I want to tell the, the things weighing on me and, and somebody that I want to tell the, the, the secrets of my heart? And can I trust you? And, and I think that we can really wrestle with this. But everybody say humble. You see, what I want you to see today is that Jesus is this humble Savior, this Savior who has a humble heart. And and what I want you to see tonight is I want you to see the character of Jesus, 
But even more than that, I want the character of Jesus to kind of rub off on us. Anybody in the room ever spend any time with somebody, and as you spend time with them, you start to talk like they do, you start to use some phrases maybe they use? It just kind of happens. And I think the same thing is true with Jesus. The more time we spend with him, the more we become like him. So as we look at the humble heart of Jesus and we talk about this Jesus that I think wants us to approach him and wants us to come in close because he's humble of heart, that same humility should be rubbing off on you and me. And so let me ask you a couple questions. That has to do with the humility in your life and my life. What do you do when you find yourself in a position where you could put yourself in a place of prominence. You know what I mean? You could kind of make a big deal of yourself. Maybe at work, you could make a real big deal of yourself. You could kind of lift yourself up. You could elevate yourself. Maybe it's for a scholarship or it's a a position in a school or it's just in some way you can kind of just flex a little, if you know what I mean. What do you do? What does it look like to be humble in that moment and learn how to raise others up instead of yourself? What about... The stuff that we sometimes have. You know, I think we all are like, oh man, I'm just going to get, I'm going to get, I'm going to possess stuff. I'm going to get the greatest toys and the greatest stuff and the greatest car and the greatest house. And, and hey man, God wants us to be blessed. But at the end of the day, as we've heard tonight already in the announcements, there are people that have just been rescued out of a sex trade that need caring for. There are at-risk pregnancies that we need to be paying attention to. And so what does it look like to humble our hearts and, and look like Jesus and say, how can I be generous with what has been given to me? What about the person that you argue with and man, you just love to have that last word. Isn't that last word so satisfying? What does it look like though to instead of getting that last word, instead of making that final point and winning the fight or the argument, which by the way, never, you don't win a fight or an argument. It never happens, right? No one's ever been like, oh yeah, that's true. I see what you're saying and they completely changed their actions. No, usually they're just as mad or even more mad that you think you won the fight and you can't even remember what you fought about last Tuesday. You have no, there was a big fight in your house or big fight in your marriage or your dating relationship. You couldn't even tell me what started it, but man, did you win that thing, right? What does it look like instead to have a humble heart like Jesus? What do you do when you have the power to blast somebody who's really hurt you? We're going to see tonight how Jesus would handle that. And again, I want you to see his humble heart. That's about his character. It's about an invitation for you and I to come close to him. But I also want that humility to wear off on you and me that we'd become more like him. If you're not a follower of Jesus, welcome to church. We're so glad you're here. And I just want to say maybe for you, the distorted view came because of a person in your life that really didn't represent Jesus well. And I have to say this. As Christians, we all struggle. Like, as a room full of people who follow Jesus, we're going to let one another down at times. But sometimes there are people who claim to be a follower of Jesus, and they're really not following Jesus at all. And if that has in some way gotten in between you and God, I'm just so incredibly sorry. I'm sorry that that's been your experience. I'm sorry that that's what you felt. And my encouragement to you tonight as we're going to look at a powerful story is don't let a person keep you from Jesus. Don't let a person who distorted your view and maybe did something very wrong to you in the name of God or just as a Christian, don't let that keep you from a relationship with Jesus. And so John wrote the book of John. He was one of Jesus' closest friends, and he was an eyewitness to the death and the resurrection of Jesus, which is our whole Good Friday Easter theme. And I really see tonight's message and Good Friday and next Sunday on Easter kind of like a series of messages. They kind of flow together really well here in Easter week. And today we celebrate Palm Sunday. 
And in John 12, we, we see a scene just before Palm Sunday, and then in a minute we're going to get to Palm Sunday. It says in John 12, verse 1, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. More on that in a minute. It says, here is a dinner, I'm sorry, here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. So there's this dinner. Now, okay, Jesus is the most important person who ever walked the earth. So this dinner is going to be crazy, right? Like you walk in and Jesus is on this throne and he's wearing this crown and there's like fog and strobe lights, right? And there's a bouncer at the front and there's all these important people. Like there's a distant relative of a Kardashian somewhere in there, you know? Chris Rock and Will, Will Smith are in the corner trying to work it out. Like, you know, they're, they're all there, right? Because they're the important people. No, that's not what we see here. Look at this. It says, Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him, with Jesus. So Martha is the sister of Lazarus. And if you know anything about Martha, Martha serves. That's why she's serving here. And here's Lazarus who was raised from the dead. But look at what it says, reclining at the table with him. Reclining at the table with Jesus. Now in that culture, they would sit on mats on the floor. The table was lower than we're used to. And they would recline and, and be around a table and they would be talking and, and coming closer to one another. And my question for you is, is do you see that Jesus when you pray? Like, is that who you're approaching? The Jesus who's reclining at a table with friends? Because that's the invitation for you and me. It's to come close to him. There's love in his eyes. There's an openness in his heart. You want to be near this Jesus the humble heart of Jesus. Now, a few weeks ago, somebody reached out to me and said, Doug, I have a relative who just needs some encouragement in their relationship with God. Would you be willing to talk with them? And they didn't live near, so we set up a phone call. And I called this person, and as we talked, my heart broke for them because here is what I saw as I spoke. They were so terrified of God. They were so terrified of coming close to God, of praying. They were just so afraid that if they spoke the wrong words, it would upset God. If they didn't get the words out right, it would upset God. They were nervous about reading the Bible because they're going, I'm not a theologian. I don't, you know, I'm not some kind of brilliant person that can dissect scripture and understand all of this, that, and the other. And, and there was so much fear in their heart, and they weren't seeing that Jesus. Their view was all distorted. And so I tried to help them recognize this Jesus, the one with love in his eyes, the one reclining at the table. Do you see his heart for you? Do you see his desire to be near you? Do you see his heart to hear from you and speak to you? Let's go on. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. Okay, now that's a little weird, <laughs> right? Like that's a little bit weird. Like let's say you went to a party tonight or some kind of gathering this week and this happened to you. Like you'd be freaked out. Be like, where'd Doug go? He's throwing up in the bathroom because some lady just wiped her hair on his feet. <laughs> oh, where's Doug? He's out in the back now in the kiddie pool trying to wipe that lady's hair off his feet. Like that's weird. What I want you to see though is the humility on Jesus' part and the humility on Mary's heart. The humble heart of Jesus drew out humility in Mary. 
So what's anointing? Anointing is in the Bible, they would take some oil and they would place it on someone and the anointing was usually a consecration for some type of a divine work. So here we are, Jesus is about to be arrested, falsely accused and murdered and then rise from the dead and be the hope of all mankind. You wanna talk about a divine work. And also, they would anoint those that had died. And this is a little bit of a pre-anointing for Jesus. But I want you to see something. Remember, no huge, crazy Kardashian party, right, for Jesus. Just him and some friends in a home. This is the place of his anointing. And I want you to see the difference between Jesus and a few other places of anointing in the Bible and people's experiences. So David was anointed king, and what happened was a prophet. Everybody say prophet. A prophet shows up at his house, and he looks at the brothers in the family, and, and no, it's not him. He's not going to be the king. Nope, 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 nope. Where's the other one? And, and David comes... And there's kind of this dramatic moment in the scripture, what's going to happen? And then the prophet anoints David, and the Spirit of God falls on David, okay? Then Solomon, who's David's son, when Solomon becomes king, there's a priest and a prophet involved and a crowd and dancing flute people after the anointing takes place. And then there's Jesus, a small, quiet gathering, listen, with a woman anointing him who had no actual authority to anoint him. He was not a priest, not a prophet, but someone who came and in love and in humility wiped the feet of Jesus as a sign of great devotion. Can you see that Mary totally gets who Jesus is? Can you see that she understands what he's about to do? I mean, she doesn't literally know he'll be crucified, but she knows this is the Messiah. This is the Savior. And she comes in humility. She totally understands Jesus as approachable and as relatable and with love in his eyes. Jesus' humble heart produces humility in Mary. As we know back in the day, at very best, Jesus wore some sandals as he went from place to place, and their feet were, were nasty. And here she is humbling her heart, right, letting down her, heart, her hair and going ahead and wiping his feet. And here's Jesus in humility, allowing this to happen. John says it a little different than Matthew and Mark do. Matthew and Mark talk about this, about Jesus being anointed, but they talk about his head being anointed. John talks about his feet being anointed. Is that like a contradiction or a discrepancy? No, both were true. She anointed the head and the feet. But Matthew and Mark are showing this as an honorable thing that was done to Jesus, and John is highlighting the humility the humble heart of Jesus. And if that weren't enough in this culture, it was actually not something done where women would let their hair down in public. To that culture, it was a sign of loose morals. So think about that. Here's Jesus, the Son of God, walking on planet Earth, and somebody lets their hair down in his presence. Wouldn't most of us think what's about to happen is he's going to rebuke her and tell her to put her hair back up because he can't be associated with this, and this is scandalous. But that's not what he does. There's another person in the room that rebukes this woman, and Jesus is about to tell, her, tell him to be quiet. Can I tell you something today? If you're wondering if you can approach Jesus, if you're wondering if your scandalous behavior is going to make him rebuke you and, and, and cast you out, can you see the humble heart 
of Jesus. Can you see? He's not worried about that. Mary wasn't worried about it, and Jesus wasn't worried about it. And Christians in the room, can I talk to you for a second? We can't be afraid that somebody's going to look at us if we hang out with so-and-so a person or such-and-such a group and judge us, and now we're seen as these scandalous people. Guys, that's who Jesus was. Jesus was the friend of sinners. Jesus was the one who went after the prostitute and the tax collector. And here, Jesus has himself in another position where I think you and I can think, oh no, what, what are we going to do? What are, what are the church folk going to think? Man, that living word church would be a different kind of church. Listen, if there is anger or hate or disgust in you or I toward any group of people on planet earth, that is not Jesus' way. That is not Jesus' heart. So maybe lining up our heart with the humble heart of Jesus tonight is important for you and I. Because the the humble heart of Jesus draws us close, but it also changes us. It draws humility out of us just like it did here in Mary. And so who who do you approach in prayer? Are you approaching this Jesus? The one who wants to spend time with you? The one who wants to hear about your ups and downs this week? Are you approaching this Jesus who's not scandalized by your current or past behavior? Look, should we do the right thing? Of course, because it's going to honor God and it's best for us. But Jesus is never pushing you or I away. And the way we do the right thing is by being as close to him as we can and becoming more and more like him over time. He wants a relationship with us. He doesn't pull away from our humanness. When we come in and we let our hair down, so to speak, stop smirking, I know I can't do that. He doesn't go, oh no, this is way too scandalous. No, he looks at you and I and says, come, come. I know you got stuff going on. I know there's some issues in your life. I know there are things that you're wishing were different or maybe some things that you're not even ready to hear need to change, but you're welcome here at my table. Let me ask, ask another question. What do we do when we're able to put ourselves in that place of prominence because both Jesus and Mary humbled themselves. And that's got to start to wear off on you and on me. Let's continue on. So remember, she has anointed his feet, and it says this, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Oh, thank God for Judas. What a heart he has. Look what it says. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Listen to me. Mary totally gets who Jesus is, and Judas doesn't have a clue. We have to be so careful who we think does and doesn't know Jesus. The prophet that anointed David made this great statement. He said that man looks at the hour, but God looks at the heart. And I think if you and I were at that dinner party that night and we had walked in and then Mary walks in and then Jesus walks in and Judas is with him, kind of with his crew, we would assume, man, Judas must know Jesus so well, but who's this Mary lady? When in reality, Mary's the one who knew Jesus and Judas is the one who was totally lost. We have to be so careful about who we are going to point fingers at and say, wow, what a person to look up to, what a person to honor, what a person to just emulate because they must know Jesus so well. And I want to let you know that, yes, there are Judases in this world, but listen to me, there are also a ton of Marys, a ton of genuine followers of Jesus who are imperfect but still love Jesus. And do you know what we do 
church, when we let one another down as imperfect people but genuine followers of Jesus, we own it, we apologize, and we work it out. You see, I think the ones we got to be worried about are the ones who just sort of do a whole lot of damage but never own it and never work it out. Man, that was the story of Judas. He totally didn't understand who Jesus was. So who do you follow? Who do you pray to? Who do you imagine is speaking to you as, the, as you read the word of God? Is it this approachable Jesus, this humble savior, this one who wants you and I to emulate him? Jesus says this in verse seven, leave her alone. So Judas rebukes her, stop this. Jesus replied, it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. This is Jesus viewing this as his pre-anointing for his coming death. Verse 9. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. If you're not a follower of Jesus, can we just focus on what we just read for a minute? A bunch of Jews went over to Jesus and started believing in him. Okay? That's a huge deal. Because Jews were steeped in religion. They were steeped in tradition. And maybe you are here and you're going, oh man, my, my tradition is Judaism. It's Catholicism. It's Islam. It's uh, agnosticism. It's atheism. It's golf. It's Netflix. Like That's my tradition. That's my support system in life. And here's Jesus over here. And suddenly people are starting to look at Jesus. What's with this Jesus who can raise Lazarus? Lazarus was in the grave for four days, and Jesus goes, hey, Lazarus, come out, and he comes out and lives. That'll get somebody's attention. And so if you're over here in your tradition, whether that's religion or non-religion, I would just say, man, what a beautiful thing today to say. What's with this Jesus guy that we would come over here and we would believe in him? I'm going to give you a chance to do that here tonight if you'd like to. And so... Now we transition from the day before Palm Sunday to Palm Sunday, and it says in John 12, 12, the next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna. Everybody say, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Hosanna is the transliteration of a Hebrew phrase that means give salvation now. And the phrase, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, was reserved for the Messiah. So there, this crowd gathered, yelling to Jesus, Jesus, Messiah, save us now. And I want you to think about something. A few days from then, many of the same people would be shouting something very different, wouldn't they? Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that those shouting Hosanna would soon be yelling, crucify him. And this is an important moment right now. You ready for this? Jesus had the power to blast all of those people that were about to hurt him to the point that he would die on the cross. In that moment, he had the opportunity to deal with them all. He could have done whatever he wanted. Choose your favorite movie, and Jesus could have done it, right? He could have got emperor on everybody and a little electricity out the fingers. He could have done a little Vader force choke. Could have been a Thanos snap. It could have, could have been anything. And in that moment when he had the power to blast the people who would hurt him, what did he do? He restrained that power with a humble heart, and he served, and he loved those 
that were coming against him. Listen, this doesn't mean we become a doormat, a constant punching bag. This doesn't mean we don't have hard conversations with people. This doesn't mean we don't protect those who can't protect and defend themselves. But how do we do it? And with what spirit do we do it? Do we have a hard conversation because we want to bring reconciliation or do we have a hard conversation because we want to blast somebody? Do we protect someone who can't protect themselves in anger and hate and cause further harm to the person doing something to them? Or can we somehow figure out a way by the leading of God's spirit to both protect and somehow shine light to the person who's hurting someone else. And, and this is very layered. I spoke with someone after one of the services this morning that said, look, I'm right in that tension where if I'm humble, I feel like I'll let go of anger that protects me. And some of us are in that spot where we, we feel like our unforgiveness towards somebody and our anger towards somebody is protecting us from further wounding. And I would just say this, there's, there's a way in Jesus where you can find freedom from that anger and unforgiveness and yet still be protected. And I think that requires some wisdom. And so we're here to counsel you through that. We've got people within the church we recommend for counseling. We can, we can get you set up with someone who can help you know how to be free of the anger and unforgiveness and still stay protected. But here is Jesus restraining that power to blast someone. And it says in verse 14, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And so Jesus is fulfilling prophecy here. There's this prophecy that Jesus would come in on this colt. Guys, there's no SUV brigade. There's no Pope Mobile. There's no convoy. There's no horse. There's no chariot. There's a humble savior on a humble donkey in a humble entry. D.A. Carson says this, I imagine that some of the Roman soldiers must have smiled at the triumphal entry because it was nothing like their own Roman triumph celebrations in the city of Rome. Whenever a Roman general was victorious on foreign soil, killing at least 5,000 of the enemy and gaining new territory, he was given a Roman triumph when he returned to the city. The victor would be permitted to display the trophies he had won and the enemy leaders he had captured. The parade ended at the arena where some of the captives entered, entertained the people by fighting wild beasts. Compared to a Roman triumph, our Lord's entry into Jerusalem was nothing. Because our Lord has a humble heart. Our Lord restrains the power, restrains the right even he has to deal with injustice, restrains the proper worship due to him in any given moment and he raises others up and he thinks about those who are less than and cares for them and he doesn't try to win the fight through words or force he lays down his life and again this is Jesus this is our our savior so this is unique and special but again in some ways we are supposed to emulate this and I know this is messy and tricky, but what does it look like for you and I to do that in our daily lives? What does it look like for you and I to, like Jesus and like Mary, humble ourselves? Because what I hope you're seeing tonight is that the humble heart of Jesus draws us close and makes us humble. Like the first part of this is Jesus wants you close to him. And so who are you praying to? You're praying, praying to the one who reclines around the table and spends time laughing and, and hearing out his friends. 
talking back into their lives. You're, you're talking to the one who wants to speak to you. It doesn't matter if you don't know how to speak right to him. You know, when my kids started to learn to talk, I didn't care that they said almost everything incorrectly. In fact, and I didn't say this at 1130 because he was there, but my 13-year-old still says things wrong to this day, and I love it. He confuses many and much. How much people were there? No, Landon. <laughs> it's not how we say it, but I'm not going to tell him because I love that he says it wrong. It's just the cutest thing in the world that he still does that. I hope that on his wedding day, he'll be like, how much people were here? Like, no, no, sorry. <laughs> and I just got to tell you, when you go to God, like this Jesus, and you say, God, I don't know if this is going to come out right. Can you just know he's already smiling, leaning in, wanting to hear? Like desiring that, that conversation with you, loving that interaction with you? Can you know that as you open up the Bible, and maybe you're not a theologian or a scholar, or maybe you are, uh, as you open up the Word of God, he's wanting to speak to you in new ways. And sometimes we just need some help. I just needed a few Psalms this week that I really kind of got stuck on. I did not read a whole book of the Bible this week. I did not necessarily, I guess I read a few chapters, but I got stuck on some stuff that so spoke to me where I was that I just kept rereading, and I'd just wake up the next day, and I would meditate back on those verses. And God was speaking to me. And that's the humble Savior that we have. He just wants a relationship with you. It's not about being a scholar. or It's not about having all these perfect words. It's about knowing him coming close to him and this is the one that we sing to i don't have a good voice i don't think he cares he just loves that you're singing about the most wonderful thing that's happened in your life the humble heart of jesus draws us close but it also makes us humble so when you have the opportunity to raise yourself up will you instead learn how to raise others up around you that's what Jesus would do. When you have the opportunity to just get and get and get, will you humble yourself and be generous? When you have the opportunity to have the last word or blast somebody who's hurt you, would you figure that maybe that's a good time to maybe take a little prayer walk and come back to the situation with a humble heart like Jesus? Because I would guess that the people in our schools could use some humble people. You know, we're really repelled by proud people, aren't we? But we are so drawn in. To those that are humble. The people that I look up to in life are, are not arrogant people, even if they're not as successful or talented as others. I'd rather be by the humble one. And that's who Jesus is, and that's who he's calling you and I to be. And so as you walk through the halls at school or work this week, what would it be like to represent Jesus well? And again, this is not about try, try, try. It's about be near the humble one and you will become humble. Be near Jesus and you will become like him. And walking with this attitude, wait a minute, this is my Savior who was anointed in some random house by a woman who let her hair down, which was scandalous in the day, but happened anyway because he wasn't going to be scandalized by it or rebuke or repel. And then he rode in on a donkey, and when he could have wiped everybody out that was about to kill him, he restrained that power, and he got on that cross, and he died, and he rose again in our place. Friday, we'll continue this theme of Easter week, and then Sunday we'll complete it. But this week, I pray that you and I would, oh man, just say, God, 
I've got some, I got some things going on here where I'm not seeing you clearly. I've had a distorted view of you, which has kept me from being close to you. And so, God, would you allow me to be near you? Would you allow me to come in and, and recline at the table, so to speak, and let my hair down, so to speak, and be near you? And then as I live out my week, would you work through me and would you lead me and help me because it's your humble heart that draws me close and makes me humble. Our staff has been going through a book called The Peacemaker. It's by a guy named Ken Sand. I would so encourage you to read it. Um, It is so good because it, it talks about conflict. It talks about what we do when we have issues in this room among Christians, like how do we handle that and how do we work through it and how do we have a godly attitude? And so we've been working through this book and just trying to talk through it and pray through it and, and, and learn from it. But one of the stories that's told in this book was about a pastor and his wife and the pastor was an assistant pastor and the lead pastor left and the assistant pastor wanted the lead pastor's job. And then there was all these leaders in the church and they didn't want this other pastor to have the job. They didn't think he was qualified. And so there became all these conflicts internally and a bunch of people took the, the leadership side and a bunch of people took the assistant pastor's side and there's all this hurt and these terrible things and they brought in some kind of outside reconciliation group and they said, we're gonna have a church meeting and whoever wants to come can come and the elders and the leaders are gonna make their statements and the pastor's gonna make his statement and we'll see what happens. And so everybody gathers. I honestly think that was a terrible plan, but, but God uses it anyway. So the first elder, right, he gets up and he's got his prepared statement and he reads the statement. And then he looks at the pastor and his wife and just says, we sinned against you, and I'm so sorry. And then the next guy who was supposed to come read his statement doesn't even read his statement, just comes and says, yeah, we, we handled this so wrongly, and we're so sorry. The third guy comes. They start having random elders out in the crowd like, yeah, we screwed up too, just screaming out. And then the wife of the pastor, who's a, a good wife, like my wife is, looked at her husband and saw he just wasn't ready quite to deal with all the emotion and pain of this, because this is hard stuff, man. And so she knew he wasn't ready to get up and respond, so she got up and responded, and she said, I came here tonight to let everybody know how much you'd hurt us. I want you all to know how you'd wronged us and how we were right and you were wrong, basically to blast everybody, right? She had the power to blast everyone that had hurt her. She said, but I'm the biggest sinner in this room and I have not acted right. I've gossiped and I've gotten my little team together, my little corner, and I've vented and I've said all things I shouldn't say and I've turned people against you. Please forgive me. And as she walked back to her seat, they say that there was like a, a physical change on her. You could see freedom on her face. The husband walks up on the stage. He's got his nice prepared statement. He just drops it to the ground and he looks at the, the leadership and he says, you know, my wife just said, that she's the biggest sinner in the room, but I'm the biggest sinner in the room because I should have led with humility. I should have had a humble heart through this process and I let my own desire for this position to drive me to do all kinds of crazy things. Next thing you know, person after person sitting in the seats like you are starts standing up saying, Pastor, we wronged you or or elders, we wronged you. They end in like a big group hug. Oprah showed up. Like just like this incredible God moment. Now listen to me. God was working in that meeting. That kind of reconciliation is brought about by the spirit and the presence of God. But I'm telling you, it starts with a humble heart. And what that first elder did was then reciprocated by the pastor's wife. And it was just dominoes after that. 
It was just more and more people doing the same thing because humility gets people's attention. You know what Hopal could use? You know what Long Island could use? You know what your workplace, your marriage, your dating relationship, your engagement, you know what all those places and people could use? A humble heart like Jesus. And so what does that look like for you? What does that mean for us? I want to lead us as we close in some prayer. I want to lead us in some specific prayers. And I say this a lot lately. Please don't miss the next several minutes as we pray together. Don't close your eyes and think, okay, cool, we're about to sing and I'll just do my thing there in a minute. Can you just go with me? Can I take you on a little, a little tour, a little trip to a destination where we're going to arrive at, at saying the things to God I think we need to say to him tonight? But church, let's have a closeness with that Savior, the one who has love in his eyes and isn't scandalized by us. And as we're near him, let's catch that humility. Let's take it out into the world and let's have it here within this room. And let's work through conflict and let's love those peoples out there that maybe historically the church has not loved very well. Let's be the friend of sinners and let's Come and celebrate Easter week. So grateful for our humble Savior. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him, I hope you heard tonight the option. You're, you're standing over here in religion or tradition, and here's Jesus saying, I got a whole other way. I love you, and I want you, and I've given my life for you. And if you want to put your trust in him tonight, I'd love for you to pray with me. But church, the humble heart of Jesus draws us close and makes us humble. Let's pray together. So God, right now, we want to we do some, some business with you, so to speak. God, we want to lay some things out there, and we need your help. And so again, please don't tune me out. Please go with me on this little journey for a few minutes. If you're here tonight and you just need to approach God in honesty and say, Jesus, I have had such a distorted view of you, would you just go ahead and do that? Jesus, I haven't seen you for who you are. Maybe some of you need to, to say, God, uh, so-and-so distorted my view of you. God, would you help me get past that? Would you help me heal from that? Maybe for you, it's my upbringing distorted my view, or that stained glass window distorted my view, or that painting that hung over my grandparents' couch distorted my view of you. I thought you were holier than thou. I thought you were angry. I thought you were scary and cold. But tonight I realize you want me to come close. Maybe for some of you, it's Jesus, just help me to get over my fear of, of prayer, of talking to you. I thank you that you delight in me coming to you in prayer, even if I trip over my words and I don't get it out all right. Maybe for somebody else, it's Jesus, give me the ability to understand the Bible as I read it and help me to remember that it's that loving Savior who's speaking to me. Maybe your prayer tonight is, God, help me raise others up when I have the opportunity to raise myself up. Maybe it's, God, help me to be humble and generous with the things you've given me. Maybe, God, help me in the moment when I just want to make my point and win the fight or blast the person. Jesus, help me to take a breath, to seek your face, and to respond with grace and truth.
Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you that you want us close and you want us more and more to look like you and your humility and humble heart. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him, you can pray with me now. You can just say something like this. Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to come to you tonight, to come close to you, to ask you to save and forgive me, to show me your love and mercy. Thank you that you're not scandalized by my behavior. Thank you that you're not pushing me away or refusing me. Thank you that you are humble in heart. And I pray that as I get to know you, Jesus, and grow in this relationship with you, that I will have a humble heart as well. Thank you for this gift of salvation, for all you've done for me. Amen. You know, there's one group of people that Jesus got in their face. It was religious people. Jesus was humble in heart toward the prostitute, the tax collector, the sinner. But man, the religious person who thought they had it all together and pointed fingers at everybody else's sin, the religious people who stayed in their little huddle and stayed safe and didn't get near the people that were sinners, so to speak. Man, Jesus had some words for them. And so church, I would just pray that you and I would respond as people who really know Jesus, not Judas know Jesus, but Mary know Jesus. That we would walk out into our community and love with that kind of love and see people through the eyes of Jesus. If anybody needs prayer for anything tonight during this last song, I'll be in the back of the room in that corner. I'd love to pray with you. And then after the service, we'll have a prayer team member right up here in the front. Let's stand together and worship our amazing God.